Judges chapter 8. Welcome back for another Chew the Bible episode. In Judges 7, we see God whittle Gideon's army. The enemy, the Midianites, was huge. Uh, for some reason, I don't know where I got this note from, but it's estimated that uh, it, they said that they were like a swarm of locusts, and it's estimated that it was about 137 thousand soldiers in the Midianite army. And here God is taking this group of Gideon's army of Israelites, starts out with 30,000 and then whittles it down to 10,000 and then whittles it down to even more to only 300 men with trumpets. And what do they have in their hands? These like little, uh, what do they have? What was the thing? The uh, the water uh, pitchers, yeah, water pitchers in their hand, and they left uh, in their left hand, and a trumpet in the right hand. Or was it the other way around? Yeah, a torch, a clay pitcher with an uncovered torch. Yeah, torches in their left hand and trumpets in their right hand. Anyway, and they get all yeah, they blow the trumpets, confuse the enemy, they believe they're being attacked, and all of a sudden they go into confusion. Once again, that's a common theme of how the Lord defeats the enemy by confusion. And they turn on each other and friendly, they start stabbing each other in their tents. Yeah. And that's how God wipes out this entire Midianite army. All right, y'all. So now we are uh, in Judges chapter eight. We're over here yawning, boy. I'm asleep. Great tonight. Great, 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 great tonight. All right. The men of Ephraim said to him, why have you done this to us? Not calling us when you went to fight against the Midianites and they argue with him violently. Wow. Here we go. What they what what does Gideon have to say? What is Gideon's response going to be? Let's see. Verse two. So you said to them, what have I done now compared to you? Is not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the great harvest of Abizer? God handed over to you Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. What must I what was I able to what was I able to do compared to you? When he said this, their anger against him subsided. I have a little note in the side of my Bible it says Gideon was wise, he was humble, and he was victorious. Gideon pursues the kings of Midian. Verse four, Gideon and the 300 men came to the Jordan and crossed it. They were exhausted, but still in pursuit. He said to the men of Succoth, please give some loaves of bread to the troops under my command because they are exhausted for I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. <laughs> I have a note here. It says weary yet pursuing. You can sleep in sleep in heaven. Hebrews ten. Basically, yeah. Oh man, I I I love some sleep. I love getting rest. But I've also learned that there's some things you got to just wake up for and not. Yeah, to lose sleep over. Uh 
to keep on pursuit of the enemy, to keep praying. Like following the Lord is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you, yeah. And one of those things is going to cost you is sleep at times. Even though I love sleep, and I, sleep is very important for me because of the mental health health challenges that I deal with at times. Like, yeah, sleep, consistent sleep is important. But I've learned at times I have to be willing to lose sleep over when the Lord wakes me up to pray. So, all right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. But the princes of Succoth asked, Are Zeba and Zamuna now in your hands that we should give bread to your army? Gideon replied, Very well. When the Lord has handed Zeba and Zamuna over to me, I will tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. He went from there to Peniel and asked the same thing from them. The men of Peniel answered just as the men of Succoth had answered. He also told the men of Peniel, when I return safely, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zamuna were in Karkor, and with them was their army of about fifteen thousand men, who were all, who were all those left of the entire army of the Kittimites. Those who had been killed were one hundred and twenty thousand armed men. That's where I got that number. If you take 127,000 plus 15,000, interesting. All right. Gideon traveled on the caravan route east of Noba in Jogbea and attacked their army while the army felt secure. Zeba and Zamuna fled and he pursued them. He captured these two kings of Midian and routed the entire army. Gideon, son of Joash, returned from the battle by the accent of Heres, or Heres, however you want to say that. He captured a youth from the men of Succoth and interrogated him. The youth wrote down for him the names of the 77 leaders and elders of Succoth. Then he went to the men of Succoth and said, here are Zeba and Zamuna. You taunted me. About them saying, are Zeba and Zamuna now in your power? That we should give bread to your exhausted men? So he took the elders of the city and he took some thorns and briars from the wilderness and he dis disciplined the men of Succoth with them. He also tore down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the city. I have a note on the side that said, back then, if you weren't for me, you were against me. You had to kill them. Yeah. These men weren't on his side, so Gideon had to take them out. It was no joke. Could you imagine if that's how things were in the church today? God raises up a Gideon in the in the modern day church and says, "Hey, this is what we're doing. This is where God is telling us to go. Either you're for you or me or against me." And yeah, those that are opposed, like, how who is this guy? You know. Who do he think he is? And they're like, all right, we got to take out. We got to take them out. They're not for us. So they're against us. We got to wipe them out. That'll be wild. Verse 18. He asked Zeba and Zamuna, what kind of men did you kill at Tabor? 
They were like you, they said, each resembled the son of a king. So he said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. Then he said to Jether, his firstborn, get up and kill them. The youth did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. The youth did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. Verse 21, Ziba and Zamuna said, get up and strike us down yourself, for a man is judged by his strength. So Gideon got up, killed Ziba and Zamuna, and took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. There's a lot going on here. I'm going to need Tony to uh, to give me some clarity on this. All right. Gideon's legacy. Then the Israel, verse 22, then the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Amen to that. I got that underlining star, but we'll go and do it again. Verse 24, then he said to them, let me make a request for you. Everyone give me an earring from the, his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Verse 25, they said, we, and this is funny, that's where some people, I feel like I've heard, I don't know, I could be wrong. I feel like I've heard, heard this is one of the scriptures that people use to why <clears throat> people shouldn't wear earrings, but... <clears throat> Anyway, <laughs> that's uh, legalism. So, all right, verse 25, they said, we agreed to give them. So they spread out a cloak and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold. Mm, that's a lot. In addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments of the kings of Midian and the chains on the necks of their camels, Gideon made an F ephod from all this and put in Oph put in Ophrah in his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it, worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. It sounds a lot like Aaron. Sounds like what Aaron did, but Gideon seems like his heart was in the right place when he did it, though. Anyways, verse 28, so Midian was subdued before the Israelites and they were no longer a threat. The land had peace for 40 years during the days of Gideon. Jeroboam, that is Gideon, son of Joash, went back to live at his house. Gideon has 70 sons. Whoa. <laughs> Gideon wasn't playing around, man. Oh, man. Hold on a second. He, he actually, yeah. I was going to say that on the next question. I was like, these are all his? His own offspring, since he had many wives. His concubine was in Shechem also. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech, which his name means my father is the king. Mm. Man, Gideon was not playing around when the word said 
be fruitful and multiply, he took it to heart. I mean, I got four kids, but seven, can you imagine having 70 kids walking around? Verse 32, then Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Then Gideon died. The Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and made Baal Bareth their god. What does Baal Bareth mean? Baal of the covenant or Lord of the covenant. Mm. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their god. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them. Who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them, and they did not show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, for all the good he had done for Israel. So once again, before I get into these Tony Evans notes, we just keep see this repeated pattern of Israelites crying out to the Lord. God provides them an answer to their problem in raising up. Here it is a um, a leader Gideon destroys their enemies, solves their problem. And then they go right back into idolatry, which I was just having. I just had the thought the other day and I was thinking about this. It's like how much I find I identify with the Israelites. I identify with Gideon and his fear. I identify with the children of Israel because how many times have I or you said, God, if you just get me out of this situation, if you just help me in this area, if you just. Take this pain away. Take this problem away. I promise you I will serve you for the rest of my life. I'm going to let go of all my idols. I'm going to serve you wholeheartedly and devotedly. I'm going to let finally let go of these things that have taken my attention away from you. And you know, these things I've made an idol. I'm going to I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to do this more. I'm going to do that. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a model citizen, right? Does That's kind of like how the thought process goes in my head. I'm I'm guessing or assuming it goes through y'all heads too. Or there's a guy who wrote that did the the movie that the movie that was based off of um that soldier. It was called like Undefeated. Ah, un. What's the name of that movie? I gotta look it up now. Where is it? Movie. Undefeated. Movie. All right, no movie about soldier POW in ocean. Let's see what comes up. Unbroken. There you go. Oh, it's funny. I love Google. I Google is so amazing. Man, that's all I can remember. Yeah, movie about the POW stuck in the ocean. Apparently, yeah, he yeah he was a runner and when he was younger and then he goes joins the military think his plane got shot down or something happened and then he uh is rescued by a foreign um um yeah i could just read here we go just read this 
As a boy, Louis Louis Zapparini is always in trouble, but with the help of his older brother, he turns his life around and channels his energy into running, later qualifying for the 1936 Olympics. When World War II breaks out, Louis enlists in the military. After his plane crashes in the Pacific, he survives an incredible 47 days adrift in a raft. That's crazy, it's 47, because that's a significant number to me right now. Um, I just, anyway. Yeah. All right, he survives an incredible 47 days adrift in a raft until his capture by the Japanese Navy. Yeah, sent to a POW camp, Louis becomes the favorite target of a particularly cruel prison commander. Yeah, he gets beat and treated horribly, and the movie is sad. But he made a promise to God, apparently, yeah, in that movie, when he stranded that, God, if you save me or rescue me out here in this ocean or whatever, I promise to, to serve you for the rest of my life, to commit my life to you. And I don't know, I heard something like, uh, it's been so long since I heard this interview. Somebody did an interview with his son or somebody was talking about his their dad's life or about, yeah, about this man, Louis Zapparini, however you want to say it, Zapparini. And uh, yeah, Angelina Jolie was the director of this movie. Wow. Anyway, um. Apparently, it came out in 2014. So apparently, um, when he got back to the United States, he didn't, if I'm get, if I remember the story correctly, he didn't exactly live up to that promise, the commitment that he made to the Lord. And but then he went to a. Uh, what's the guy's name? Why do I blank out when I think this guy's name? He's like one of the most famous crusaders. Billy Graham. There you go. He went to a Billy Graham crusade and then he remembered the promise that he made while he was on that raft. And uh, yeah, from that point on, he committed his life to the Lord. And I'm sure there was a lot of bumps and bruises and he didn't walk perfectly. But once again, the Lord doesn't call us to walk perfectly. He calls us to walk blameless. So yeah, he had an amazing story, amazing life. It's pretty cool. Louis Zamperini. I encourage y'all to check out that movie. It's pretty good. It's PG-13. I don't think there's any bad stuff in it. But yeah, it was, I want to watch that again. That was good. But anyway, my main point in saying that is like how often we can make those promises or those 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 declarations to the Lord to get us out of these situations. And then we go right back into like, yeah, we forget that we made that promise after he solves the problem or fixes it for us. So yeah, all of us, I think at some point in our life in our Christian walks, or even if you never gave your life to Christ, um, but have said those moments like, God, help me, please help me out of the situation. I promise I'll obey you or give you my life to you from this point forward. And then, yeah, he he rescues us, saves us, fixes the problem. But then we go right back to what we were doing before. Just like the children of Israel, we can all identify with that. All right. Tony Evans. What did he say? (laughs) 
Neither, neither the leaders of Succoth nor the men of Peniel had been willing to join their kinsman Gideon in siding against God's enemies through supplying his men with provisions. Gideon was already the deliverer God provided, but the Israelites wanted more. Before they, I'm, I'm, I need to say, yeah, that's why they killed uh, the leaders of Succoth, <laughs> my pastor. It wasn't Pastor Mike Lynn here that taught on this. It was Pastor John Brown who did. Now that I remember, because I remember he made the joke that they, they sucketh. Like, they suck. That's why they were leaders of sucketh, because they sucketh. Anyway, it's just like a joke. Anyway, neither, yeah, the leaders, neither the leaders of sucketh nor the men of Peniel had been willing to join their kinsmen. So, yeah, God said, hey, you got to take them out. If you're not for us, you're against us. Gideon was already the deliverer God provided, but the Israelites wanted more. They wanted a king, but God didn't want them to have a monarchy until they had learned to live under him. When men do not know how to be ruled properly under God, they are willing to be ruled improperly by men, by men who sometimes will seek to become a God. An ephod was a priestly article that fit like a vest. There was only one official ephod. It was to be used only by a Levitical priest in the tabernacle. Thus, Gideon chose to make something that he shouldn't have to use and in place where such a thing didn't belong. In doing so, he assumed an illegitimate, Ill, he assumed an illegitimate position of religious authority that had not been assigned to him. And as the Israelites looked to him in his ephod to to be a spiritual guide, they were unfaithful to God's program. Whenever you see polygamy in the Bible, you've got a messy situation that contrasts with God's stated design for marriage. As Gideon's many wives aren't alarming enough, as if Gideon's many wives aren't alarming enough, he also had a concubine that's a mistress. He named their son Abimelech, which means get ready for this. My father is king. I read that funny. He named their son Abimelech, which means get ready for this. My father is king. Like Tony's like saying, hey, get ready for this. Isn't that crazy? His name is my father is king. It seems that the power got power Gideon got from acting like a priest had gone to his head. And he was setting the stage for a dynasty. That's just the kind of overreach that can happen when someone is given unlimited power without accountability. Sadly, the Israelites started worshiping Baal Bereth, Baal of the Covenant. In other words, they were practicing religious syncretism, trying to merge the worship of Baal with the idea of God's covenant with them. This is much like what happened when a previous generation made a golden calf idol and called it the other one, called it the one who brought Israel up from Egypt. Wise, wow, I was just talking to my brother about this about legacy versus dynasty because I was listening to 
I won't say his name, but this is guy. He's a famous speaker. It was him and his son, and they were on this show. I don't really often watch this show, but I for some reason I was just heading on YouTube. I was listening to the Breakfast Club, and yeah, this guy was. I don't know why I was listening to it, but I don't know because he's yeah. It's interesting because he's like a very he's a motivational speaker, very famous. And he says a lot of like Christianese type stuff, right? Or a lot of, he quotes the Bible a lot. But anyway, anyway, I won't go there, what I could say. But I will say this, like he, his son started talking about how they're no longer, it's about not building a legacy, but now they're building a dynasty. And my flesh immediately was like, yeah. I need to build a legacy. I mean, I I need to be working toward building a dynasty, not just a legacy. Because a legacy is how you're remembered by folks. But a dynasty, like he was saying, like he'll never be forgotten. It um. It was just anyway. My let's just say like my flesh was just like eating this stuff up, right? And then afterward, I kind of like had this unsettled feeling in my spirit and one by like why did I just no I don't know at one point I was like yeah that's a lot of good stuff but something about it is off they were saying a lot of true things but and I felt kind of bad because I was like sharing this with my brother but I don't know this this is convicting me right here just like the fact that he said it got to Gideon's head And they were trying to build this dynasty and assume unlimited power without accountability. Anyway, it's making sense in my head, but it might not make total sense into you all like as I'm sharing this. But my main point of saying all this is like, this is dangerous. It's dangerous when you start forgetting who's ult- like who gave you the victory and who's ultimately in control and forget that God is on the throne, not us. So it's a very slippery slope, a thin line you can cross very easily. And yeah, it's dangerous. Anyway, let's go ahead and hop into On the Romans Road. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You can simply say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Christ is the son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.
Alright, y'all. Uh, I'm going to keep going until 11. Then I'll shut it down for the night. So, whatever chapters I can get done until 11, that's what I'm going to do. Dun, 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 dun. BRB.